Welcome to the Long-Term Care Chronicles podcast. In this episode, we're going to be speaking with Dr. Sharon Strauss from the University of Toronto, who was a member of the working group with the Royal Society of Canada on the report for Restoring Trust, COVID-19 and the Future of Long-Term Care. And this will be a two-part series. Let's have a listen. So thank you so much, Sharon, for coming on to the Long-Term Care Chronicles. I really appreciate your time to talk about the report that the Canadian Royal Society has done. So first of all, I just wanted to go to in terms of the the origins of long-term care that was mentioned in the report and how that has impacted us the way that we govern and that way, the way that we look at long-term care in Canada and why this needs to be under the Health Canada Act. So thanks very much, Wendy, for the, for the chance to chat with you today and to speak to the report. Before I start, I do want to acknowledge the land on which I work and on which uh, which I feel very fortunate to, to work and recognizing the territory's long history predates the European colonies and, and also acknowledge the significance of the territory for the Indigenous people who lived on this land and continue to live on it. And in particular, I'm based in, in at St. Mike's in Toronto and it has been the traditional land of many diverse First Nations, Inuit and Métis people, including the Mississaugas, the Wendat, the Anishinaabe, and the Haudenosaunee. And I'm really, really grateful to be able to, to work on this land and also to learn from the knowledge keepers, many of whom are the elders in the community. So I appreciate the ability to learn from them. And also wanted to acknowledge that, uh, that in particular committed to recognize, honor, and take action on the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls Inquiry Calls to Action. So you asked about kind of the, the how it's governed and, yes. and the history of how long-term care got, got set up in Canada. I think that's a really important question because as you know, long-term care sits out, outside of the, the Canada Health Act. And, um, and really the way it works is that, you know, federally, the, the funding, as you know, comes from the federal government, but then it goes to the provinces and territories who then are responsible for, for what happens on, on the long-term care front. And so this has led to some, some particular challenges because everything then, um, you know, happens very differently in each province and territory. And one of the big challenges, for example, is that, um, you know, we don't have great data from province to province and on kind of, you know, how many staff we have in long-term care, for example. There aren't any good repositories of any of that information. And so the fact that there's been this um, this, this bit of a, a disjointed approach then means that we don't have um, the, the absolute best tools at our disposal to make sure that long-term care is getting the support that it needs across Canada. Yeah, thank you so much. But for where long-term care originally started, I mean, it probably wasn't used the same long-term care, probably the poorhouse type of, you know, just to provide that a little bit more of that type of background. So yeah, people... exactly, exactly. So it does come from, you know, in the, in the 1600s that, um, you know, the, the traditions of the, of the poorhouse. And, um, and, uh, and then it's, it's really only been more recently that people have, you know, even the terms that we use, you know, it used to be um, long-term care hospital. And then, you know, the, the term has gradually moved into that and recognizing the importance of that this is a home for people. 
um, and incorporating that as part of the as part of the name. But um, and so I think it's it's really been um, been interesting if you look back at the history of how long term care started and and the origins of it and how we've ended up to to where we are today. It really does take root back in in how it was in, in how it was started. Um, and so if you think about it as kind of being, you know, initially in the, the almshouses and the poor houses um, that, that it was set up, and then now this has kind of evolved into long-term care. Um, I think that says it all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely. And then the fact that we've had 50 years of commissions, reports on how to improve long-term care. Mm-hmm. I know the report, uh, you know, talked to at least four points to this you know, what can you be able to, to indicate to these four points of how that should be improved moving forward? Yeah, so and it, it's it's a great point that you raised around how many reports, because we don't need another report. We don't need another commission. We don't need another inquiry. Yeah. You know, all of these fantastic reports that have, have been produced in, in the last few years. And, um, you know, two of our graduate students, Eric Wong and um, uh, his colleague, looked at how many reports have been done in Canada and how much money it costs to produce those reports and how much, you know, that could have been spent on actually implementing the recommendations in the reports. And, you know, so it's, so it's really about um, looking at the recommendations that those reports have, have highlighted. And, and so one of the things that we really wanted to focus on in, in the restoring trust document was summarizing all of that fantastic work that's been done and saying, you know, it's been done. We know what needs to happen. Now we need to focus on doing it. And in particular, we wanted to focus on on things related to the long term care staff. Um, you know, this is this is a group of people that um, are undervalued, underpaid, and they are at the at the at the front line. And, and so that was one of the one of the key things that we really wanted to focus on. And in particular, highlighting that if you look at this population, um, as you know, more than ninety percent of them are, are women. Um, you know, a majority of them um, were born outside of Canada, first language, not English. These are racialized women. The average age or the median age is older than the median age of the rest of the Canadian workforce. So I also think that's a big factor into, you know, why this workforce doesn't get the value that it should. You know, it's very much, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a gender, it's a gender issue. And it also reflects that, we need to we need to take what we often call as an intersectionality lens, where we look at you know the intersection of the of gender and age and race and language and socioeconomic status, um, and how important those factors are, and in particular with the with this workforce. Um, and I think that to me has been been one of the one of the key challenges, and and not. Um, not having the data on how many staff we have, not having the data on, um, you know, the appropriate staffing mix, the fact that they get paid less than half of their acute care counterparts, um, that uh, many of them are working part-time at multiple sites, um, you know, prior to COVID outbreak because they, they, they couldn't get full-time work. Yeah. Um, and, um, and so the, the challenge is attached to that. So, um, those are all, I think, critically important factors related to um, to the staffing level of the staff. The second thing is we also talked about kind of the staffing mix and model, and um, and it's interesting that um, 
you know, as I mentioned, we don't have great Canadian data on, you know, first of all, how many workers do we have in in long-term care? Um, We don't have any data on how many um, personal support workers there are. Um, We don't have any data on on, um, you know, how many hours of direct care are provided by all of these different individuals across the country. BC has done some great work um, a couple of years ago where they um, they looked within their long-term care sector and, and identified kind of how many hours of direct care, you know, and indirect care and who was providing the direct care. And, um, and they actually uh, set a target that they wanted to reach, like a, a much higher target. And they used data from uh, you know, that was largely from the U.S., a, a study that was done about 15 years ago. Okay. And then more recently, there was a, there was a study from Australia. Um, but um, but if, you, if you look at that, um, that's, that's in B.C., but it's not similarly been done in the, in the other provinces. And we still don't know kind of where we are at, at this particular point in time. The other, um, the other piece that um, that we spoke about was the need for access to, you know, the, and the approach to the um, multidisciplinary team. So thinking about, you know, access to physiotherapists, occupational therapists, speech therapists, um, spiritual care, um, dentists. You know, there's, there's so many of these other um, uh, disciplines that. That, that you know need to be need to be considered and 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 again we don't have good um, good data on that and and similarly what is the optimal mix so um, yeah. what what should be available and then also thinking about from um, the primary care perspective some of the models are having the um, you know when the when the person moves into the long term care home that their primary care physician is the same primary care physician that they had in the community and they and they yeah. follow them in versus having a primary care um, clinician attached to that long term care home which is the best model and so um, you know part of it is understanding that and the role of others in providing primary care as well so the role of nurse practitioners for example. Yeah. So those are some of the, the issues that we identified. The need to ensure that families are incorporated in this and that their family voice is heard and that they're engaged in all of these um, discussions around, um, around how do we optimize the, the quality of care and long-term care. Certainly, as you know, during COVID, that was one of the most heartbreaking things, I think, for, for, for everybody was, um, you know, to see the, the um, the families and, and other um, other caregivers not being able to, to visit their family members in the homes and, you know, distressing for the residents, distressing for the families and distressing for the frontline workers to see that and have to experience that too. And so thinking about um, how do we ensure that, you know, the, the families and, and, and other caregivers are supported in, you know, future outbreaks, but also, what are the what are the optimal ways to um, to, to to ensure that um, that their voice is really heard as we discuss mm-hmm. these things, and that they're at the table? And then the the other things that that we talked about were ensuring that um, you know that we have funding from the federal government to the provinces and territories, but that provinces and territories are held accountable for what that funding is used for, and that it's tied to quality indicators. And that we should all be coming together to saying, okay, you know, based on these reports, we have great things about thinking about what the quality indicators should be. 
um, you know, from the from the resident perspective, from the family perspective, from the you know the workforce perspective. You know, there's a lot of quality indicators relevant to all those different um, participants, and so it's thinking about um, you know making sure that we're that we have an accountability built in around those quality indicators and then have the data to be able to um, to measure that because saying you know we're going to look at um, you know access to palliative care quality of you know comfort measures um, at the end of life um, you know nutrition whatever we want to we want to think about from a quality indicator perspective but then not being able to have the data to measure that to see are we actually doing what we should what we you know what we want to be doing and as you know we can't manage without being able to measure um and so it's really critically important that um that we have um that data to to be able to support that so so i really you know one of the things that we talked about in the report was really seeing a national um uh agreement on the quality indicators and that the federal government then would align um, the funding with those quality indicators. Yeah, because absolutely that is definitely needed in order for it to be the same across the province, uh, across the country. So in regards to, I guess, with the pandemic, you know, it revealed that there are some major challenges. There definitely is some long-rooted issues that are happening in long-term care. And the report did talk to that. Um, Can you just highlight some of those um, specific um, challenges? And it's, you know, it's interesting because one of the things that we said is that, um, you know, the the pandemic didn't highlight any new information about long-term care. (laughs) So, um, and it was interesting because I think a lot of times in the media, as you know, that's kind of what got portrayed got portrayed that oh this is like new you know we don't we didn't know this before and um and like nothing none of it was new the only thing that was new was the infection itself and the fact that you know the um you know the long incubation period um and um and uh it was it was those it was actually the features of COVID itself um that kind of triggered what um you know what what ended up happening and um, and in particular, I think it, it highlighted that um, you know we've had all these reports, we've had all these um, these recommendations on on what to do, um, and that COVID just because of its long incubation, asymptomatic transmission, um, really uh, really highlighted this. And I think the other things that. Um, uh, it really highlighted as well is that the residents within long-term care, I think people maybe haven't been as attentive to um, seeing what's happened with the residents in long-term care and in particular, how complex they are. Um, You know, if you look at kind of the the age and the comorbidities, the number of medications that people are on, you know, two thirds of them have, um, you know, they're living with dementia this is a very, very complex population and, um, you know, medically complex, socially complex, functionally complex. And um, I don't think that um, that our, our population as a whole has had a really good understanding of the complexity of, of the residents in long-term care um, and, the, and the care needs and how the care needs have really, have really gone up. And, um, and so I think that, um, you know, certainly COVID has highlighted um, 
those issues for people and made people aware of those things that they that they probably weren't aware of. Um, and then similarly, I think that you know we talked about it really being um, a perfect storm. That you know the fact that you know this 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 infection and, and the characteristics of the infection and how quickly you know everything happened and then you know the lack of access to PPE, um, personal protective equipment, the lack of access to infection prevention and control. Um, the fact that there was a lot of preparation happening in the acute care side of things, but it was happening in silo um, from you know what was going on in the long-term care side of things. And again, I think it reflects the lack of integration within within our um, our health and public health system. That and I and again, I think you know overall what's mm-hmm. what's um, what's happened uh, with COVID has really highlighted those those silos. Um, and that you know what what happens in acute care, what happens in the community, what happens in long term care, what happens in rehab, um, you know there's there's not necessarily a lot of of integration across. And yet, what happens in one sector is going to impact what happens in the other sectors. Yeah. And so, as you know, like you know, whatever happens in the community, there's going to be a ripple effect elsewhere. Whatever happens in long term care, there's going to be a ripple effect. Yeah. And and so I think that that's one of the things that was really highlighted about. You know, I think everybody likes to think that we're kind of in these these different sectors, but we we are interconnected. Um, but unfortunately, we're not organized in that way, and so yeah. um, and so I think it's highlighted that fragmentation in the um, in the system, and also within the um, you know we're talking about long term care, but you, you saw the same thing with with other congregate settings yes. as well, like in you know people who. Um, uh, we're um, we're using we're using the shelter system. It was it was the same kind of thing, and it really highlighted kind of the um, you know the, the gaps in our system, which I think for for many of us were very very distressing to see. Thank you for listening to today's show. And if you have any feedback or suggestions for this or any other episode, please contact us on our social media at Twitter at Family Councils and at Facebook, Family Councils Collaborative Alliance. Thank you so much and hope you enjoyed this episode.